Loved, as we begin this new year together, I pray that the Lord will give us new boldness in witnessing for him, that more people would say in this new year and recognize they have been with the Lord. That's what we will focus on in our verse today. We will look at some context. Please keep your Bibles marked and open to Acts chapter 4. We will go to a few other scriptures, namely 1 Corinthians. But Acts chapter 4, verse 13 is our verse we're looking at this morning. And I want to read just that verse with you, and I'll, I'll give you a sense of its context in a moment. But let me say this, it's because of their boldness witnessing for Jesus and that many are believing in him that many of the religious Jewish leaders have brought them into the court, uh, if you will, of the Sanhedrin. And they are saying, wait a minute, where, where are you getting this power? Where are you getting this word from? And uh, they're telling them not to do it anymore. But you'll see their boldness and how they witness. The boldness is what is recognized. And then they leave and they pray for more boldness. And pray that that would be something that's on our heart this year, that you'd be praying that for the preaching, that we'd be praying that for our witness to one another. Because it isn't boldness in ourselves, it's boldness in Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has the power over death itself and is coming to judge the world in righteousness. And uh, you see this boldness all through the book of Acts. But look at verse 13 together. This is our scripture for today. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And it's that last phrase I want to look at together today in particular. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, it is often said that uh, in marriage, a husband and wife who have been married for many years almost seem like the same person. And of course, that makes sense because, uh, you know, we are uh, spoken of as being uh, one flesh. You know, we often speak of our better half. Um, it's because we've been, so, been together so long. They take on one another's mannerisms. They complete each other's thoughts and sentences. They like more and more the same things together. They even almost physically look like one another. I remember Sinclair Ferguson mentioned that in the lectures we listened to earlier this year. He says, you know, and I would stay with people a lot of times, especially as they were married couples for a long time. They almost look like each other. It's kind of weird. You know, it's just that's what happens when you're with someone so long. And uh, Similarly, the kind of people that you spend time with shows and how you pick up their habits and their ways. Now, of course, 1 Corinthians 15, warns about that. Don't be naive about how the wrong company will corrupt your manners. You'll become just like them. You got to be careful. The habits you'll pick up from other people. But... Of course, positively, that's also true. We can tend to resemble those we spend time with in the Lord. As we spend our time with God's people, uh, we grow in resembling them. That includes repentance. That includes reconciliation and forgiveness, but all seeking to live holy. There's this truth that those you spend your time with, people will recognize in you. Well, those you spend your time with, people will recognize you had your time with them. So we focus on the last part of our verse today, Acts 4.13, that says, They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beloved, it is my prayer for myself and for you today that we would desire to hear that said about ourselves. 
that people would recognize in whatever situation, including as you'll see here, being called to be questioned and accused, uh, that we will be found guilty, as it were, in their sight. There'll be evidence that we've been with Jesus. That's actually kind of the idea that's going on here. That's why they keep getting in trouble. There is evidence that they can point to, but also in their behavior. We want it to be said of us. They recognized, they took knowledge that we had been with Jesus. Horatio Hackett writes this, their self-possession and intelligence astonished the rulers. What a testimony to these primitive witnesses. Would that the same could be said of their successors? The thing I particularly appreciate, he says, is their self-possession, the way they govern themselves. We can think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, their self-possession, the way they carried themselves, looked like Jesus. The response of suspicious, educated unbelievers observing bold believers should naturally be that they have been with Jesus. I give you that as the main idea of our, of our text in its context. The response of suspicious, educated unbelievers observing uneducated, bold believers should naturally be that they have been with Jesus. First notice, uh, these religious leaders of the Jews, they took knowledge in our immediate. They recognized, that is, they re oh, wait a minute, I, I remember, or I see something about them. They took knowledge, they recognized. And there's, there's other words in the same verse that emphasize this observation. A similar idea, they saw and that could be translated from the Greek, they perceived. And of course, then later it does say they perceived and they marveled. They, were, they wondered over this. These guys, they're fishermen. They don't know anything. But, but look at this boldness. Look at this power to preach Jesus Christ. They observed. So there needs to be a concern for us of how we are observed by other people, especially those who hate Jesus, because that's the context, especially when we are called upon to give a witness that we give one and that we don't do it weakly, but boldly. Now, I'll qualify that in a moment, but that would be with confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something notable about Christians, or there should be. It shouldn't be that there are closet Christians. That's an oxymoron. That should be impossible. And that will mean that we'll often be called upon to give a witness and, and, and bear testimony and suffer for it. Uh, that's what Jesus said would happen, right? Uh, but it's impossible that we should go unrecognized. Beloved, if you're never having anyone uncomfortable around you or accusing you or saying something about you because of Jesus, then they're not recognizing that you've been with Jesus. And that should be a concern of yours. There was a fellow out here when I left late at night. I didn't quite, he was sitting outside our gate and I didn't quite see him. So I drove up quickly and I said, oh, hey, sorry. Don't you think I'm about to run you over? Said, oh, no, no problem. He wasn't where I could have driven through, but I didn't want him to think that I was careless about him. It was dark. I went and introduced myself, invited him to church. Oh, yeah, I'm spiritual. I'm serving the Lord right now. And it was evident he 
wasn't according to what we would say from the scriptures, but I, I invited him to come to serve Jesus as well. Whatever that means, what's most important is that you're serving Jesus. It wasn't the boldest of witness, but I did have this in mind. I should go up and invite that person to come to church and challenge. It's not just about, everybody says they're spiritual. The question is, do they have the spirit of Christ? Do they have Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life? Naturally, we're all spiritual. We all have a spirit within us. Naturally, there are the common operations of the Holy Spirit, as our standards teach of. The question is, has your spirit been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of Christ applying his redemption to you, giving you faith to believe and trust in him? And that's the kind of message we need to be ready to give to people. Not without respect. But with boldness, because the highest person we owe respect to is the Lord Jesus Christ and how he is countenanced in this world. They have a witness that is witnessed. Christ stands out in them. Notice the theme of boldness. We see that uh, in our text. First of all, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. You can think of courage or power, the boldness. Now, that theme is something to recognize that is being recognized. They see the boldness of their preaching, but look to verses 29 and 31. They ask for more of it after they are released. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders be, may be done by thy name of thy holy Christ Jesus. They ask for more boldness. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Therefore, we see in verses 19 to 20, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Sounds like what we learned about with Luther recently, right? When we saw those sermons by R.C. Sproul. And he went to pray all night, right? But he prayed similarly and he came back and said, I can do no other. Here I stand, I can do no other. I will not recant before the Roman Catholic Church telling him deny the gospels of grace that God was recovering in the church. Not starting with Luther, but particularly in his boldness uh, and in spite of his sins, of the excess of that, the Lord used him mightily. And so they said, we, well, we, we can't stop preaching the gospel. And beloved, that's got to be the way we live our lives. I, I can't stop talking about Jesus. It's not possible I have to talk about Jesus. I have to give a witness. It's the reason for my existence. It's the reason for my recreation as a new person in Christ. Dennis Johnson says of this boldness, it is an openness and freedom to speak the whole word of God without pulling back for fear of harm by human opponents. 
It is the gift of God bestowed by the Spirit. So we recognize it's something to pray for, ask for more of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus tells us to, which will be more holiness, and it'll be a more holy and bold witness that we will be relieved, our tongues will be freed up to speak the glories of God and of His Christ. Because we won't be afraid of man and what they think of us. We'll be only having a holy fear of the Lord and concerned what the Lord would think of them in terms of what they think of him and whether they'll be saved by him or not. The more time that we have with Jesus, the more Jesus will speak through his people by his spirit. Now, this is also impressive because they were seen. What's the other thing that's observed? It's a contrast. This boldness they marvel over because why? They are unlearned and ignorant. One of the words in the Greek, it isn't quite the sense that we have of it now, but it's idiota, like the idea of idiot. It really means common, unlearned. Uh, but they, were, they hadn't been formally trained. They hadn't gone to seminary. Now, you'll understand in our context that is not being spoken of pejoratively. But they didn't have anything where they would have expected expected them to be able to do this, to be so understanding the scriptures and learning. They were found in this court trial of sorts to be confident, courageous, and knowledgeable. And it wasn't of them, it was of Christ being with him. And we'll see more of what that means. But because of their time with Christ, and because of his spirit in them, this is what they observed. Wow, these, these men who have no formal learning, they're proclaiming some tremendous things in Jesus. And what's interesting also, again, they are the educated ones that ought to have been able to do this. Instead, they want to kill Jesus and did. And now they want to kill them for proclaiming Jesus. But they acknowledge we, we can't do much about it because the context is they just healed a man. And no one, and they said, we can't deny it in the text. Nobody can deny it. We can't deny it in front of the people. So they kind of held back. There was, they wanted to quiet them, but they couldn't. There was this boldness about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they observed these educated people, that these uneducated men had such a bold witness. Verses 1 to 7. You'll see how often it speaks of it's the, it's the uh, religious educated priests, the temple captain, the Sadducees, the especially educated ones. Though, of course, you know, they deny the resurrection. You know, education, the wrong kind of education can kill your faith and can kill your belief in the Bible. So the Lord is using those who are humble and meek. He's raising them up in the spirit of truth to confound the wise who trust in their own wisdom. Though they had been around Jesus, they obviously hadn't been with him. That is these educated people. They'd been around. They'd been trying to kill him. They'd been seeing Jesus, but they hadn't been spending time with Jesus and learning from him. I. Howard Marshall writes this. This verse does not mean that the apostles' eloquence led the court for the first time to realize that they were connected with Jesus. Perhaps the Jewish leaders remembered how difficult it had been to win an argument with Jesus. They were having the same difficulty now. And it was compounded by the fact that they healed, uh, that the healed man was there for all to see. They're having the same difficulty. That's something people should have. We're called to give a defense. We'll, we'll go to 1 Peter in a while. We're always to be ready to give a defense of the witness of Christianity. And the word apologia, where we get apologetics in the Greek, has the idea of giving a defense in a courtroom. 
Not apologizing or someone's good, but giving, you know, proclaiming the truth, giving a witness and a testimony of the truth of the gospel claims in a court. And that's what this is, is a courtroom. And so they're doing that. They're, they're, they're answering the objections to Christ and Christianity. They're ready to give a witness and they're giving it boldly because of their confidence in Christ, by faith in Christ and in who he is. And beloved, that's one of the reasons you and I lack boldness. We're too worried and dependent upon ourselves. We're too hung up about ourselves and we're afraid of men. We need to just be fearing the Lord Jehovah and having trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for more of the Holy Spirit. We would just preach the truth in love. We defend Jesus. We give a witness, a testimony in the court of public opinion that Jesus alone is Lord. And there's no salvation in anyone else but him. And every tongue will confess, every knee will bow before him at his second coming. May it be you do that now before it's too late and have his scepter of mercy rather than his rod of iron. And you just quote the scriptures. You just bring the scriptures to people and let God speak for himself and get out of the way. But it wasn't that they were eloquent, you see. It wasn't that they were amazing orators. Oh, sometimes those are the guys that put you to sleep. <laughs> they just spoke plain truth. They just preached it. It doesn't mean that there wasn't care and consideration. You're going to see as we go in some of some other things they said, they knew what they were doing. They were learned because of Jesus. And they were careful about how they put their message together. But again, where does this come from? Where does this boldness and this knowledge come from? This amazing witness they're giving. It comes from time with Jesus. It comes from being with Jesus. And we want to think about quality time with Jesus and quantity time with Jesus. First of all, quality time. Verse 8, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for him together. They've been with him. He promised he would send the Holy Spirit to them. They have been spending time with him. But quality time, he gives them the Lord's Supper. He washes their feet. He teaches and challenges them how to love. But most importantly, they have the Holy Spirit of Christ. Quality. By what authority do you do these things is essentially what they're saying. And it's because of the Holy Spirit in them. Just as they said to Jesus, by what authority are you saying and doing these things, especially healing? He says, don't you know the Son of God has authority to forgive sins, to give life, to raise from the dead? And so they're following being with Jesus, this quality time being with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus, the Son of God, who was still with them. Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, wait a minute. How do we know he said that? We don't have it quoted from him directly in the narratives of the Gospels. We have it in Hebrews from the Apostles. He said it to them because they were with him and they passed that on to us. Notice this made a quality in their witness. In verse 9, it says they did a good deed. Beloved, you want to recognize the good deeds and how significant that is to your witness. It is your words, 
It's also your deeds, just as it was with Christ, the preaching and the mercy ministry, the good works. There was a quality in their witness. It wasn't just speaking the words and wanting to know all the truth of the scriptures, but not doing good things. It was the good deeds that drew attention to them as well. The quality time with Jesus, they reflected. And it was a quality witness for Jesus because in verse 10, they didn't take the credit for themselves. They didn't want the attention on themselves of what they knew or didn't know or what they did. It was all about Jesus. And remember, that's the witness of the Holy Spirit, not of himself, but of Jesus as the true Messiah to save us of our sins. So they had that quality time with Jesus, which is why they say we can see it. He's radiating and working through them. They're just like Jesus. But it's also the quality time. And as much as I think we want to maybe initially look at this verse and say people would see us and say, hey, they've been with Jesus as if it's his glow upon us. Or as we'll see tonight uh, with Stephen, they said he had a face like an angel. But we'll see the context is not what you think that means. And it will similarly express the confidence he had as he was also under trial. But that comes from quantity time. In John 18, Peter, what do they keep saying when Jesus is at trial? Oh, you were, you were one of those who were with him. No, no, no. And he denied it three times. But what? They recognized. I recognize you. And see, the thing is, is they recognized these people. They had been with Jesus. When they were there trying to get Jesus and kill him, they recognized these people were there following Jesus, serving Jesus. And actually, they're trying to use it against them because they just killed Jesus with an unfair trial and crucifixion. So actually, yeah, they are trying to convict them of, have you actually been with Jesus? Could you be convicted in a court of law? This court of law. And there's no denying it. And they had seen him. Not only do they see the effects of Jesus with them, the spirit of Christ with them working through them. They had seen them with Jesus when he was here on earth. They were spending time with Jesus. How did these men know Psalm 118 verse 22 was something to bring up and apply in verse 11? Look at verse 11. This is part of their response. This is the stone. Speaking of Jesus Christ, verse 10, they say, you crucified him. Be it known unto all of you this day, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you all. So they're witnessing to something they've all witnessed. We know that from Acts chapter 2. Jesus is raised from the dead, so he is the Messiah of Psalm 16. Go back to chapter 2 to see that sermon from Peter. But here we see this, and then he brings up another psalm. By the way, notice how much he's bringing up the psalms to witness to Jesus. Verse 11, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Then he goes on to say in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Well, that is a bold message today, isn't it? As it always has been. You are so intolerant. What gives you the right to say that we can only be, I have my way and I'm sincere in it. 
That's a bold message simply to say, no, you can't be saved. There's no other God and there's no other means of salvation but his. And the only means of salvation is Yeshua, Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. You see that boldness. But what's he doing in verse 11? He's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. Jesus has become the cornerstone. It's marvelous in our eyes. The, the stone that the builders have rejected, these people are rejecting, should be building off of it, has become the cornerstone of the New Testament church. He's, they're quoting Psalm 118 verse 22. Well, how do they know to do that? Probably they know it, but also Jesus had quoted that same verse in their presence, teaching them its significance. In the Gospels, in Mark, Matthew, and Luke, he had quoted Psalm 118.22 and taught them what it was about. They'd seen him do the same thing addressing others. Their time with Jesus. They'd been taught by Jesus. They've been spending time with him, listening to him. Jesus also quoted in their presence, teaching them this significance in other verses of this, of what we'll see later on. But we remember also in Luke 24, 44, he taught the disciples. He taught those on the road to Emmaus, everything about him as it was taught in the law and the prophets and in the Psalms, all about him. It's all about him. They, he taught them. They spent time with him. They broke bread with him. They slept with him. They traveled with him. They ate with him. They suffered with him. They gloried and rejoiced in him when, the, when people wanted to see him, make him a king in, in Matthew 21. And Psalm 118 is quoted there too. They've been spending time with him. He's been teaching them. Now, also, it's interesting. Look at verses 25 and 26. They quote what you sang this morning, part of Psalm 22, the first few verses. Verses 25 and 26. This is afterwards when they're rejoicing about what's happening. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You saw when we sang that this morning against his anointed, the Messiah in Hebrew, the Christ in Greek. Remember, we've been learning that in the larger catechism. What does this title mean? The anointed one. Christ was anointed by God, prophet, priest, and king to be the only mediator between God, the man Christ Jesus. And they are knowing to recognize Psalm 2 verses 1 and 2 are saying, yeah, the rulers of the world are going to fight against the anointed one, the Messiah. And of course they did and they do. But how did they know this? In particular, Jesus taught them. They spent a lot of time with Jesus and Jesus taught them. And they understood especially that this is about him and that this is what would happen. They followed Jesus everywhere, and he taught them everywhere, including that these rulers would persecute him, and so they would persecute them. And wherever they were, they were found with Jesus. And that's the thing you really want to recognize. Wherever they were, they were found with Jesus, and that's how they had this power in their preaching, the spirit of Christ in it, and the words from the word. Nothing should anyone be falling asleep to this, right? I mean, this is to be bold, powerful. I'm excited about this today. Amen? Be careful how you use your Saturdays, beloved. They followed him everywhere. 
And that's probably the main thing that is actually being spoken to. Not that they so much recognize Jesus in them in terms of how they handled themselves, though I think that's there. More importantly, they recognized they handled themselves that way, and it reminded them that they had seen them with Jesus who acted just like this. They're just acting just like Jesus. Ah, that's how they're responding to them. They're not saying, oh, they look just like Jesus. They're just like Jesus, these Christians. And later on in the book of Acts, that becomes their name. In Antioch, first time it's used, Christians. Little Christs acting and following Jesus. And they can't stand it about them, just as they couldn't stand Jesus. And beloved, that's what you need to recognize is how your witness will be received often. You know, you don't want to be offending men. You want to have peace with men as much as it's in your power, the Bible says. But you need to recognize often when people hate you, Jesus says, you're blessed. Same thing with the prophets before you. Same thing with me. Recognize this. That people will simply recognize your confidence and say, who are you to have such confidence? I mean, agnosticism, doubt is the religion of the world today. Who can know, Pilate says, right? Truth, who can know truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Skepticism, uncertainty is considered sincere religion. But it isn't the Christian religion, which is certain and founded and grounded on the Lord Jesus Christ and says, I've got a witness to give. And it's a witness that matters for you about where you'll be for eternity. And time's running out. And today is the day of salvation. As we start this year to look together, may we be with bated breath, as it were, on the edge of our seats. Lord, send me out. Who shall I send? Send me. And give me the words and give me your way. Jonathan Gill writes this. They remembered that they were persons that were disciples of Jesus and whom they had seen in company with him in the temple where Jesus taught. Oh, where can you find Christians? In the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. We are the assembly. We are the family and household of God. Worship primarily. As was brought up in the message today, this morning, about God-centered worship, Psalm 42. I would offer up Psalm 84 also. There is a joy about going to the temple and worshiping God there. Now, of course, they were with him during the Sermon on the Mount. They were with him when he was calming the waves about the boat. They were with him when he was feeding thousands with a few loaves and fishes. And it had to happen a few times. And he said, you still doubt? How many times I got to do this? You still doubt? Don't you remember the other times I did this? They were with him when he raised Lazarus from the dead. They were with him when he wept before he did. They were with him in his preaching and his healing with God's authority. They had quantity time and they had quality time. And people could remember and say, I saw you with Jesus all the time everywhere. They took knowledge. They made note they had been with Jesus. I know where this is coming from. They've been spending time with Jesus all the time. Now they're acting just like him. 
And naturally, the power of the Holy Spirit, as we see in the text of Christ, is animating them for this work. Now, that is, again, a contrast to what they were known to be, unlearned and ignorant. Fishermen, no offense to fishermen, but they aren't the ones that people think of to be the teachers and the preachers, especially in this day. They were not those who were raised by Gamaliel, as Paul was. And remember that later in Acts, not to dismiss formal training. But of all people, nobody thinks i got to listen to this guy. But they had this boldness of good deeds and preaching that could not be denied. And people were responding by the Holy Spirit and believing and being saved. I want to encourage you, beloved, you may think that you can't witness because you don't know enough. Poppycock! I don't know why that word just came to my mind. Rubbish! Nonsense! The Lord Jesus speaks through earthen vessels just as he is right now. The Lord Jesus will use what you do know, and he's going to speak it through you in your time with him. People can recognize that you are with Jesus, and he's with you, and you don't have to have years and years and years. Sometimes those who give the boldest witness are those who are the most recent converts. Just share what you know. Share about your personal relationship with Jesus and what you know with what you are learning, spending time with him week after week in worship and fellowship. Don't let whatever you think about yourself or what others might say about yourself shut your mouth. In fact, it can give the most powerful witness. Look at where it's coming from. Look who's saying this. Just as Psalm 8 says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. Thou hast ordained strength, perfected praise. They boldly proclaimed in life and word Jesus, the word of life, who said such would happen and he would speak through them. I want you to turn with me for a moment to the gospel of Luke. Now, remember, Dr. Luke wrote Acts. It's part two of his witness. And in the opening of Luke and the opening of Acts, he says eyewitness accounts. He's put together all these eyewitness accounts so you can know of a certainty these things are true. Why? So you can have a confidence in preaching the truth to others and be confident in your salvation. But look with me to the end of the Gospel of Luke. Again, uh, Luke is book one, Acts is book two of, of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 20, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 10 through 15. And likely they have this in view. In our chapter today, Acts chapter 4, Luke 21, 10 to 15. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation. This is Jesus speaking. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And you need to try, well, that's particularly for the apostles, as you see it happening at the moment in Acts 4. That's Christ's promise to you. You spend time with me, quantity and quality, and I'll give you a witness, and, and I'll give you a word, even in your stumbling words, just like he did with Moses, who said, I'm not a good speaker. 
but he'll give you a witness. Trust the same for you simply because of how you spend time with Jesus and quality time. May it be that people marvel over you. I recognize you've been spending time with Jesus. I know you Christians. I've run into your like before. You're all the same. And while they would say it possibly in a negative criticism, we recognize that's actually the greatest compliment you could possibly give me. Is to say that you recognize I've been with Jesus. Though you may not be much to talk about, they can't stop talking about Jesus in you and how you talk about him all the time. And they know him and things about him that they don't, or rather that you know things about him that they don't, and they see it in you, and sometimes they ask. And they also want to know because of your good works, including to them, even when they persecute you. Matthew 5, 16, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says you are to be the light of the world. You are to be the salt to the earth. And how is it that you will be? By your good works, which will bring people to come and glorify your Father in heaven. They couldn't deny the good work. And again, it is called a good deed. And while we're not promising now a miraculous healing power, you can still bring a cup of cold water to someone. You can do such things to the least of these. You can be praying for our mercy ministry of the church and how you can be a contact to the community and be meeting the needs of others. You, you don't walk by someone suffering. It doesn't have to be so dramatic as the example Christ gives, but who is the one who truly loves his neighbor, the good Samaritan? Because he doesn't walk by the person suffering and needing of mercy and healing and the self-sacrifice involved in doing that. You get a witness from that and then be ready to give the witness with your words as well. They're not mutually exclusive. It's all together. May you have prayers for boldness in preaching and witnessing the Lord Jesus Christ, including to many religious educated leaders who ought to know better, but are denying him. And sometimes not as far away as we think in terms of like minded churches. And that's no direct accusation against anyone. But we need to recognize there's times where you just got to speak the truth and you can't worry about what their name or reputation is when you know what the truth is and you see it being denied. May it not be in our own cleverness that we're bold, but in Christ and confidence in Christ that we would preach this way. And I pray that you would hear the next verses, especially for the preachers of this church. As it has been, I pray as it is now and as it will be later on. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Right after Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, 
but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, because that's what saves and changes people's lives. And by the way, brethren, pray that that would still be the case here by the spirit of Christ for Christ, truly spending time with Christ. As you might know, we've been kept out of denominations because of the preaching here. We've been criticized well before I was here, but certainly often while I have been here by others in fairly formal positions against the preaching here. Not by most people who come here, but those elsewhere observing it. And there is a danger and a weakness and a temptation for the preacher to turn his tail and run. Or to whimper and speak only things that your itching ears will want to hear. And be more concerned with what others might say, observing, listening elsewhere, ready to criticize. And lose the unction of the Holy Spirit. And lose the power of God to save. Brother, I ask you, as Paul does, Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. A lot of preaching, I'm sorry to say, and perhaps this is too bold, but it seems to me a lot of preaching, even in Reformed churches, is not bold today. And it's too much like a lecture and not enough like a sermon. And it plays it too safe at times when it ought not to. And that's not only the case, and there's plenty of good, bold preaching, but I'm not confident there's enough of it. Which is why when you see it and you experience it, it can tend to threaten and scare people who won't do it. And as some of you have witnessed again recently, others will criticize and challenge you for being in such a place. But I pray that you would be praying that this witness would also be yours in the world. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Again, we look at that context. We know that, of course, the word of God is, is used, uh, Hebrews 4.12, powerfully to convert. But uh, it isn't that we use enticing words and eloquence. They weren't doing eloquence or fancy, schmancy words. They were just preaching the gospel boldly, not without education from the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding the old applied and the new to the Lord Jesus Christ. But they weren't trying to impress the people with themselves. They weren't trying to play it safe, so they were safe. They preached the Lord Jesus Christ in apologia, but without apology, so that some might be saved before it's too late. And when you preach a safe gospel, no one is going to be saved because it's too safe and comfortable to think I am saved. When in fact, I might not be because I haven't been told to repent of my sins boldly. In our confession of faith, it says we are to preach repentance just as much as we preach faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says he did for three years to the church of Ephesus. Faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance toward God also. And sometimes there's no way you can say it nicely enough where it will be received other than offensive. 
1 Peter 3, 15 to 16, an important verse you might use to highlight and apply this today. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation, behavior your good deeds in Christ. Colossians 3.23 And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. As unto the Lord, not unto men. Let's highlight today heartily. Boldly. Why won't you do that? Why did you do this? Because I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you? I invite you to stop playing games. Stop messing around. How do you know that your soul will not be required of you at this moment? Matthew Henry writes of our text, those that have been with Jesus in converse and communion with him have been attending on his word, praying in his name, celebrating the memorials of his death and resurrection should conduct themselves in everything so that those who converse with them may take knowledge of them that they have been with Jesus. And this makes them so holy and heavenly and spiritual and cheerful. This has raised them so much above the world and filled them with another. One may know that they have been in the mount by the shining of their faces. Beloved, we are here to worship God, but we are to go out there and witness for him. I. Howard Marshall of the text says this, the thing that struck the court about Peter's remarks was the boldness with which they were uttered. The whole demeanor of Peter and John was one of confidence and unashamedness, which enabled them to speak freely in the face of what must have been a daunting audience. It was the quality for which the disciples were later to pray in our text we saw, verses 29 and 31, and which characterized their public speaking. And he gives us a whole bunch of chapters and verses and acts to show. And this is what they can. This is the character of their preaching boldness. He goes on to say it was the more surprising to the court because the apostles had not had not had particular training in theology or rhetoric. Again, they're just preaching confidently of Christ, preaching confidently in Christ, not concerned with what they think of them. Especially they were considered ignorant of the Torah and the Jewish law, he points out. And I think he's right. How could you possibly know what to teach us, we teachers of the law? Well, hasn't Jesus said to others earlier, you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand how it can be born again? You're the teachers of the law, but you're not teaching them my word. But you can have the boldness to do that. Beloved, may your witness be Psalm 2, verse 7. Now they quote Psalm 1 and 2 we saw, but we sang the whole psalm this morning. In verse 7, may it be our resolve to say, as it is the words of Christ, about Christ, I will declare the decree 
The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Or as he says, may it be your words in Psalm 22, verse 22, which is spoken of Christ speaking these words in Hebrews 2, verse 12. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Notice in the midst of the congregation. And of course, that also involves having the boldness to disciple one another neuthetically. That we have the word of God to bring to people's lives and we don't need to send it to some experts that deny God. To have the boldness to challenge the priests of our world today who claim to have something over God on our lives and on our souls. We don't defer weakly to others who know nothing of God and so know nothing of the truth. And so know nothing to help anyone when they need Jesus Christ. Believe and witness boldly to the wonderment of others because you simply have the guts to say the truth and nothing but the truth into context of everyone trying to intimidate you to do that. Doesn't have to be eloquent. You might stutter along the way, but they'll see that you yet do for the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be Jesus with you for all your time with Jesus that they recognize. The result throughout is that by the good deeds and bold witness, many believed. Beloved, you want to see this church get filled up with true believers worshiping God this new year, 2024 of our Lord? Are you giving a bold witness out there? And is Christ giving a bold witness within us here? I was talking with a person, I'll share, save it for another day, maybe I'll share a little bit, I've thought of applying to the sermon, but um, I was talking with a blast from the past a few days ago, he called me, I didn't even remember who he was at first, we had a very short brief time at college in Buffalo, New York, but I'd been on his heart five, seven years ago, and uh, back in October, and he made, if you think about those strategic times, it's interesting. But he said to me at the end, he, he expected I would want to have explanation of his salvation because of where he is religiously. And sadly, I was waiting for it, and it's the same. Very unusual. I'll share more details another time. But he said to me something I didn't even remember myself. He says, I'll never forget this. Others were concerned when I was going this direction religiously. I'm for now leaving out what that was. But it's definitely something that's hard to witness against. Um, he said, I'll never forget this. Others were concerned, but you're the only one that drove to come see me. He had gone to a different college across state lines. Uh, I went from Pennsylvania through the panhandle of West Virginia into Ohio to meet with this man to beseech him not to abandon the gospel for false religion of works. And I, I, humanly speaking, I didn't succeed, and I'm sure I didn't give the greatest witness. I was a seminary student part-time. I was convicted. I didn't even remember this. I remember being there, and frankly, I remember how spooky it was. I said, I mean, the biggest religion in the world for Christianity, by the way. I'm alluding to it. I remember the spooky things I saw there, but I forgot I thought I had accompanied him to look at it. I actually, he remembers, but he said to me, I'll never forget that. That burned on my heart to be constantly asking God whether I'm saved. 
and I'm not convinced based on where he is that that can be possible yet. And then he said to me, and I'm waiting for it, I'm going to have to do this, and it's a little uncomfortable having a nice reunion and talking and things. He said, I imagine if we get to get, he lives in Northern California now the way by. <laughs> it's interesting. And uh, he said, I said, we'll have to try to visit sometime together. And he said, yeah, I'm sure you'll have some questions about, you know, how I'm saved and things. And I said, oh, it'll be the same witness. I'll be witnessing to you. I'll be challenging you that you would be saved. I said, I think you can handle that, that I can say it that way, that directly, but I think that's the way we should be witnessing as we see here. I, I, I don't want to mess around. I mean, I hope I at least left a stone in his shoe if I never talked to him again. I still question your salvation. How dare you? He didn't respond that way. Because I know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and it isn't that. It isn't that. By the way, this man is very, very religious, and it's taken him all over the world. But it's not Jesus alone. But you're to have that bold witness that whatever else, it stays there when no one else had a witness. This isn't to credit me. I didn't even remember I did it. But I was convicted and I challenged him directly. I remember now. And he hasn't forgotten it. Love, this is over 20 years ago. I've never seen him since then. And we only had maybe a year together. I barely know him. Similarly, I had a friend, you know, a number of years ago, call me and get catching up with he, he, he was so thinking about me. He looked me up on the Internet. I'm sure there's plenty of bad things to find out about me, but you can find out where I am. <laughs> and uh, a friend years ago, he's no longer a Christian, but he was a big witness in my life that made me a serious Christian. And then he's abandoned the Lord. But when I witnessed to him, I did it according to the Bible in the book of Acts, the mode of the scriptures. I told him he knows the truth. Romans says this. I know you know the truth and you're suppressing it in unrighteousness. You know this is true. You know God exists because he was denying that. He says, I've never had anyone witness to me like this. Well, how sad is that? Maybe that's why there's not a lot of people coming to faith in certain places. You got to challenge them with the way the Bible does. You know this is true. You're made in the image of God. You know this is true, and I know it's true because the Bible says this. And you don't try to prove it. You just declare it. And that's what they do through the book of Acts. They declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. You don't go around it care carefully and never get to quoting the scriptures, for instance. You quote the word, you quote Jesus Christ, and you let God speak for himself. You pray the Holy Spirit does it through you. And you trust he can do something even if you feel like you blundered it. And I always feel like I blunder it. But simply because it's sincere and direct and honest, it stands out to the world as different. And dare we say real, because Jesus is real. So, beloved, be confident about Jesus by having been often with Jesus and he being in you and with you by his word and spirit. And pray many come to belief through you by your boldness as you face being brought to court for him. By the way, remember, it was their boldness in witnessing while they're in court that was so remarkable, but it was their boldness in witness that brought them to court in the first place. It was their bold witness that got them in trouble. And we've got to be praying for that, too. But I think we pray, please, Lord, please protect me from persecution. I don't believe I'm blessed, though you say so. I think we pray that the Lord would 
guard us from any accusation, that we never have to stick our neck out, that we can comfortably go through and talk to people all the time. They kind of know we go to church with Christians, but they never really get a witness from us directly in word or deed. We need to be ready to be persecuted if we want to see the world turned upside down for Christ, as in the book of Acts. We need to be direct, boldly direct, humble, reverence, as Peter says, but direct, ready to give an argument a defense for the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles, Charles Coldwell Ryrie says this of verses 29 and 30. They prayed for more boldness. Notice this is after they left the persecution. They did not, he says, they did not ask the Lord to remove the threats nor to relieve them of the problem, but to give them boldness to continue to testify and for confirmation of their message. Well, that's got to be our prayer. Give me boldness, Lord. Let, let the boldness of the gospel belief in me in word and deed bring people against me and then give me more boldness to keep on witnessing until you return. Because this is how you change the world and save people. They didn't ask to be spared. They asked to be given boldness to go through it. Beloved, may many believe through your simple, bold witness in the midst of persecution and accusation that Jesus Christ is true and alive and is with you. And that you are always with him. Christ makes all things new. And he has made you a new creation in him. May that be your witness. More and more, the more you're with him. This new year, may Christ be beheld with you by your boldness in him. Beloved, I wanted to come to this verse today as I first thought about it. Oh, may Christ see Jesus in you. That's a lovely thought. May they see us in our devotions. May they see us in our dedication to him, in our discipleship with him. May they recognize Jesus in our countenance and his presence with us. Discipleship, devotions, worshiping with his people, uh, his body hearing and speaking in the congregation. Uh, that sounds really nice and that's true. They need to see us with all these things. But then we need to be ready to quote it and speak it directly to people. It isn't just that they recognize you're with Jesus because of your time and quality time with him, but because of especially your boldness for him. And that boldness comes from your quantity and quality time with him. So, beloved, where are you with your reading through the Bible this year? Where are you? You know, are you, have you dropped it? Don't worry about starting over. Pick it up where you are. I'm preaching it myself, and I never regret it. You know, keep picking it up. Keep getting back to the word. Keep getting to private and family devotions. Come to church more often. Be in church for fellowship, not just worship. Come to other things. Be building and provoking one another unto good works. How are you going to go about this year? May it be indeed that people recognize that you've been with Jesus because you have and boldly so. The message for you this morning, may Christ be beheld with you by your boldness in him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, preach yourself through our hands and through our mouths and feed us now through your means of grace, including now the Lord's Supper as we spend time fellowshipping further with you, being taught and fed and nourished by you that you would send us out boldly as light to the world and salt to the earth, that people would come to glorify our Father in heaven and be believing as we see the bold witness of belief 
being used to bring many others into believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. Lord, let us forget about ourselves and concentrate on you and worship and serve you, Christ the Lord, in whose name we pray. And all your people said boldly, Amen.